Uh, everybody's in the spirit. We've got to focus on the sermon now. So I want you to turn to somebody uh, for our faith exhortation this morning. I want you to say, come on. But, but wait, but wait. It's a very flexible phrase. You can say, come on. Or you can say, come on. Whatever you think needs to happen this morning for the people around you, go. Here's your warm-up question. Get your brain juices flowing as we talk about our sermon theme uh, this morning. How do you make sure to do what you should do in life and to not do what you shouldn't do in life? Simple, straightforward, basic question. How do you make sure you do what you should in life and don't do what you shouldn't do in life? I'm going to give you eight seconds to think about it and be brilliant, and then we'll check in. How do you make sure? How do I make sure you behave properly? I say, I say. All right, how do you make sure you do what you should and don't do what you shouldn't in life? This is a fairly basic question, right? This is one of those fundamental questions of life. There are all sorts of variations on this question, but so what do you think? How do you make sure you do what you do? You need to do, don't do what you shouldn't. Right? Don't, don't use the word should. All right. That's, you, you could unpack that. That's a very interesting answer. All right, what else? Maintain your vigilance. You've got to be vigilant. There's a powerful word. Vigilant literally means to watch. Jeff, you just got outed by your son I'm just, in, the, in the video. You missed it. John? Accountability. Uh, teamwork, right? Is that what you mean by accountability? Make sure that other people know what's going on and give you a little, little enforcement, a little nudge when you need it. Who else? How do you make sure you do what you should, not what you shouldn't? Uh, learn, from you. learn from those who went before you. That's interesting, yeah. What else? Listen to your wife. Listen to your wife. <laughs> the amazing thing, Mike's not even married, but he knows. <laughs> But he knows. He's in my house every week at Ohana Group. He's figured out the key. Yeah, yeah. I just observe it. Start by making sure you know what you should do. Let's start there. Yeah, that's interesting. One more. Who's got the best answer? Surround yourself by people who are doing what you think you should be doing. Yeah, and presumably not doing what you sh think you should not be doing. Brilliant, all brilliant answers. Pretty basic life question. Um, so uh, we're in this sermon series on how to finish life well, how to keep it up the whole way. And uh, one of the things I find myself thinking about a lot as I get older is, is well, I'm, I'm constantly amazed by what we do when we feel like we have to do it versus all we don't do when we feel like we don't have to do it. And uh, different words for that, you could call that behaving, you could call that discipline or something like that. Um, my whole life I've had um, sort of an interesting relationship with discipline and, and with self-discipline. As many of you know, my early childhood was not all that stable. Uh, if you don't know the story, it involved uh, family breakups and living with different 
households at different times. I was uh, shunted around a bit and moving and moved all around the country. My family was literally uh, hunted by the police for a while. And so there's a lot of chaos uh, in my home. And my response to it uh, was to be extraordinarily, one of my responses to it, was to be extraordinarily self-disciplined, self-controlled. And this was sort of a coping thing that I did because a lot of my life was out of control, right? So you could respond to that in different ways. And my response was to be incredibly controlled and, and uh, sometimes to the point of pathology, you know, I would just, I would freeze. I would, if I wasn't sure what to do, I would like do nothing. Um, and other times it manifested in just bizarre ways. I remember once, I think I was nine, ten years old, nine years old, I just like stopped eating for a couple of weeks. Right? I just felt like something needed to be controlled and eating was something that I could control. I needed to kind of restore my sense of control. Maybe you've known people like this. Maybe you've known some young people uh, like this. And of course I grew and I met Jesus and I became a bit healthier and a little bit less quirky over time. Um, but that ability for self-control sort of morphed into self-discipline, and that generally is an advantage for human beings uh, in life. And so, uh, like when I went to school, when I went to college, university, I like, was famous for staying up at night to do my work. Like, I was never late on anything. Who, who always wanted to be on time? That was Kaeo, I think, in the video. <laughs> like, I got never late on anything. I would stay up sometimes for 72 straight hours. I had an inane crazy capacity uh, to just uh, push through things. And then I got, sort of graduated, I got out, got into grad school, I did the same thing, and eventually I got into startup software companies that at least then were, were not famous for lifestyle, they were famous for bad lifestyle, like you would work all week long and sleep at the office and stuff like that. I did that incredibly well. Um, until I realized, eventually, that uh, all of my schooling, all of my work, I learned more at, I learned more about disciplining myself than I did about being effective. <laughs> right? I could work really, really, really hard, but not necessarily really fruitfully. In other words, like, hard work doesn't necessarily accomplish what you want. Self-discipline doesn't necessarily accomplish what you want. But that's actually a, a different sermon. Um, what I'm trying to say is that our capacity for self-discipline, given the right conditions, is truly extraordinary. Right? Even I know that, uh, having come, out, come from a, a fairly messed up uh, beginning. Maybe you know it in healthier ways. So we're on this sermon series and finishing well, um, which means that we want to make it to the end. We want to hold on to our faith, and we want to cross the finish line well and have heavenly treasures when we do it. We don't want to just make it into eternity. We want to have what Jesus calls treasures in heaven when we get to uh, eternity, which is the ultimate 401k plan. And uh, we've talked about different things that we need to do in order to finish well. Uh, we need to walk through life figuring out what to do. I think it was Anna who said that. You've got to know what to do and what you shouldn't do. Uh, which uh, we discussed means be not being overly mystical, but not being non-mystical either. You need to just be practical, scriptural with your life, but you also need to listen to God in real time. We talked about how life is ministry, and the key to finishing well is actually ministering unceasingly your whole life. Never let 
never let a week go by without ministering to someone. That's actually the point of your life, Jesus says. And the best way to keep fresh in ministry, in my opinion, my big tip to you, was to always be gathering at least one non-believer at all points in your life. Somebody you actually know, uh, whom you're trying to bring to faith, someone who hasn't discovered um, the joy and the power of following God. Um, you know, the unpopular word for that is evangelism or proselytizing. The popular word would be something more like gathering or sharing, whatever. Uh, but it's fundamental to us uh, and fundamental uh, to Christ. So always do that. We want to exercise the ability to non-conform in life. Uh, to not conform to the patterns of the world is how Paul says it. Uh, which is a super uh, powerful thing to say in, in an age where conformity is becoming more and more of an issue in several different manners. Uh, and last week we talked about how we have to fight the good fight, which is to say, fight the good fight, uh, because it is a fight and it is warfare, and um, the enemy constantly tries to, te- to uh, uh, convince us to just not fight. Uh, and today we're going to talk about how to finish well means that you have to behave well. Which is not a stunning revelation, is it? To finish well in life, you have to behave well in life, which is to say you need to do what you should and not do uh, what you shouldn't. And so we're going to talk about discipline, but we're going to talk about means of discipline and how to manage discipline in your life in a way that will be effective and that will keep you going uh, the whole time. And I want to read two verses from the Bible this morning. Um, our, uh, our passage is... Uh, really short, and it's from Exodus chapter 35. Uh, you can turn there with me. I know Exodus, a big favorite among you, right? Exodus, all those Old Testament books, has the stories of the great miracles, the parting of the Red Sea and all that. So from Exodus chapter 35, the verses will be up on the big board behind me. And this is uh, basically uh, a story of one of the instances in which uh, Moses, God's prophet, is giving rules to God's people. And he's talking about a rule that's very, very famous, the Sabbath rule. Take a day off every week. It's a commandment from the Lord. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, these are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. This is what you should do. Make it very, very plain. For six days, work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. So far, so good. Whoever does work on it must be put to death. Subtle. Uh, it goes on to say, don't light in a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day, and just uh, explains it a little bit. Take it easy, is what he's saying. Uh, take it easy. So the Israelites are in a pretty juvenile phase right now. They're just, they're just learning about God and what it means to follow God in a serious way as they go out into the world. Remember, they've been captive. Now they're going out into the world, they're graduating, uh, and God's giving them some, some rules to live by. And one of them is you've got to take a day off every week. It's holy, right? It's what the Lord would want. It's a way of making sure your dedication to God stays fresh. If you don't do it, then you need to be put to death by your compadres, by your countrymen. Somebody needs to kill you. Make sure that you guys get on that. Great rule, the Sabbath. We talk about it a fair bit. How many of you keep a Sabbath really well? Point taken. All right. So a hard rule to follow, even though it should be an easy rule. Hey, take a day off. 
How hard is that? Do nothing. Sit in a massage chair and read. He missed that. He doesn't, he doesn't even know what I'm talking about. Right? So, like, not incredibly strenuous. Uh, but if you don't do it, if you see somebody violating the Sabbath, uh, you should probably kill them. Uh, so do you like, do you like the rule? Take, take a day off every week. Good rule, bad rule? Good rule, right? Then we could talk about how it's wise and stuff, but pretty good rule. Do you like its implementation here in this story? And if you don't do it, somebody should probably kill you. All right, so my question is, why does God do it this way? Why does God do it this way? Here in Exodus 35, with these guys who, who are starting up, you know. And, and it is in direct contrast to the way that Jesus eventually talks about the Sabbath in the Gospels. Jesus said when the Pharisees were all, you know, ballistic about Sabbath laws and customs and stuff like this, they were even mad for Jesus healing people on the Sabbath, because that looked like work. And, and Jesus said, look, man... The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, all of God's laws are for health. Like, so if I heal someone on the Sabbath, if I pick grain to eat on the Sabbath, right? give me a break. You have to understand the spirit of the Sabbath, which is to feed the soul and the body and restore you to health. So get over it. Um, so there's a contrast there. Why did God do it this way here at the beginning? Why, why the death threat? What do you think? They're probably like scared and they were hard-headed and they're like scrabbling for a survival. So to the community of people he was talking to was in deep chaos and super scared and threatened and so harsh discipline maybe made sex. It was attention getting, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Not bad. Yes, hot Chinese chick in the front row. He's introducing difference. I want you to be different than the people around you in the world, and therefore I need to stamp it in a way that's actually quite violent and dramatic, but dang it, you're going to remember it, aren't you? <clears throat> yeah, you guys are headed in, I think, good directions, uh, and this is the way to think about these Old Testament laws, to think about them fruitfully and, and try to understand the spirit behind them so that you understand well how to apply them in your life. Um, here's a few things that I was thinking about. Uh, one, uh, by saying, you know, keep the Sabbath, take a day off, or you should be killed. Um, God is underscoring the seriousness of wisdom. And one of, the, one of the ways to understand life is that some people take wisdom seriously and some people don't. There's a famous story in the Old Testament about this. It's the story of two brothers, one named Esau and one named Jacob. Right? And Esau, they were twin brothers. Esau was the older one. He had the blessing. He was going to inherit everything. But he didn't take his birthright seriously. He sold it to his younger brother for a, a bowl of lentil soup because he was really, really hungry one afternoon. Uh, and Jacob took it very seriously. In fact, he schemed and he plotted and he did everything he could to get the blessing. Eventually, it turned out he even wrestled God himself for the blessing and what is a very weird but, but illustrative story. Uh, and God honored Jacob and did not honor Esau. Esau wasn't a terrible guy, but he refused to take things seriously. And that's deadly. Ultimately, that's deadly 
one of the things that kills more people than anything else is the spirit of, eh, right? It's not the spirit of dark evil, it's the spirit of cruising through life. That's usually what gets people killed. Uh, so there's that. Uh, there's the uh, two-year-old in the street principle. This is an illustration that I share a lot. If you're a Blue Water veteran, you've already heard me say this. The Israelites are very young. Their community is not very experienced at this point. We are, you know, hundreds of generations later. So compared to us, they are babies. They are two-year-olds, and we are supposedly adult in the things of God. Uh, when my little boy was two years old, um, and he would play in our yard and run out into the street, I would run out and I would grab him, and I'd pick him up by the collar, and I would get angry at him. No! Don't go in the street. Daddy mad! And if he did it again, I would swat his little okole. Now that's violence, in a way. But the thing is, if I had sat him down and explained to him the dangers of automobile traffic, at two years old, he would not have understood, right? Because he's two. The only thing he understood was, Daddy mad! Right? As he got older, not only do I let him go on the street, I gave him the car keys, I taught him how to drive, he's driving some of your kids around now. You know, he's off in the Philippines doing, you know, who knows what, preaching yesterday. He gave his first sermon in a church yesterday. You know, you grow up. And as you grow up, the rules don't change, but the way you apply them changes a lot. Hopefully, discipline supersedes rule enforcement. Hopefully, self-discipline with wisdom supersedes rules with enforcement, violent enforcement. So there's that. Uh, God doesn't change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We change. And that explains the contrast, uh, the difference. Relatedly, and here's what I want to talk about. Uh, this is your takeaway. Uh, there's an implicit lesson in this story, not about the Sabbath per se, but about discipline itself. If you can't discipline yourself, then you need discipline from somewhere else. That's the truth. Right? If you can't do it yourself, then you're better off if somebody else forces you. I asked earlier, how many of you keep the Sabbath? Well, not a single hand was raised. How many of you know the Sabbath law? Pretty much all of you. So you're not doing it. Do you need me to threaten to kill you <laughs> in order to keep the Sabbath well? Yes or no? Some of you are like, I think he's serious. <laughs> he, he knows people. Evidence suggests that you do need me to threaten you. Right? Because I took a survey. Evidence suggests that I need to police you. Now, should I have to? No, of course not. Because you're grown-ups. You know, you are mature Christians, many of you at this point. Um, so, so what's going on there? All right. That tension right there, how you answer that question and think that through is a key to finishing life well. Right? The difference between where does your discipline have to come from? Can it come from within or does it have to come from without? It should be something that you're all thinking of because we just went through three or four years of craziness with respect to this question. Right? And people just had all sorts of responses to it. Uh, some meek and some angry, but it's fundamental uh, to human life. And 
these, this is just a great example uh, of how it, it goes down. In this story, there's some you know, ferocious discipline. Uh, in, command, in service to a command of taking it easy. Take it easy, relax, or I'll kill you. <laughs> right? That juxtaposition, that bizarre juxtaposition is not accidental. Right? That's why he leads with it here. Just so that it, it, it surprises us. What? Take it easy or get killed? That's bizarre. Yes, it is bizarre. It is supposed to be bizarre. And it's supposed to make you think. Right? Can you be self-disciplined or do you need a tyrant? Remember, this is to keep you alive. Right? This is to keep you from running into the street and killing yourself or ruining society. So can you do it in a self-disciplined sort of way? Or do you need a tyrant? I'm using that word just to be simplistic and shocking. But yeah, that's, that's something for all of us to uh, think about. And I think the point of this story, when you meditate on it, the point of, of this expression is that you know sometimes maybe we need to be open to all of the things you mentioned, <laughs> you know, severity, to externally enforced rules, to accountability, to, to community, to learning from others and followership and, and stuff like that. Um, we are grace-based people. I think especially at Blue Water, we do that really well. We are grace-based. We are generous people, and we know that God is generous with us, but, but don't throw away the idea of self-discipline just because you embrace the idea of generosity and, and grace. Um, <clears throat> so I'm, as I said earlier, I'm, as human beings go, I'm a fantastically disciplined individual. That's not necessarily a brag, because I realize that in me, some of it is downright pathological. Right? I've been very unhealthy about this in the past in, in some ways. Uh, but... If you master self-discipline, you will have no need for rules. Wisdom will be sufficient. Until you master discipline, you will have need for rules or some form of exterior enforced discipline. You understand? Right? If it all comes from within, don't sweat it. But if you need it to come from without, get it! Otherwise, you won't make it. That's the principle. So you have to understand where you are. Does your, everybody needs to be disciplined in life. Do you have enough self-discipline, or do you need external discipline? Are you following me? Give me a snap if you are, if you're following. That's, that's what the Bible teaches, uh, in effect, and that's the whole key. So here's the question for self-discipline, and life management for you. Here's your question. This, to me, is the question that you need to answer in order to finish well to make the long haul in life. Here it is. Here's the question. It's not if you need discipline. It's where do you need it to come from? How do you get the discipline you need where you need it? In some things, you're going to be very disciplined, and you don't need me bopping you on the head to remind you. And other things, you might need me bopping you on the head, right? Some of us, you know, can kick back and drink a beer for Father's Day, excuse me. No problem. 
Some of us are smart enough to know that we just need to leave alcohol behind entirely. And so you're drinking root beer, which is better than this. I prefer darks. Are you following? So do that self-inventory. Do that self-inventory. Are you disciplined enough in area X to just be on your own? Or are you undisciplined in area X and do you need external help? And if you need external help, don't be an idiot. Get it. And just doing that in life, that practice, that self-inventorying, that's all you need. That's the key. That's the key to help and, and making it uh, well. That's the real question of finishing well. Um, so I've thought so much about discipline in life and discipline in different ways. Healthy and unhealthy have been such a big part of my life uh, that I've been very intentional and conscientious uh, about this. One of the reasons this church exists at all is because uh, I had to create a community to help me. Um, you know, I needed to have partners in my life for some things to, to keep me on, on the straight and narrow. And, and there are other things involved as well. That's only part of the story. And some of the reasons that you are here Dark beer, Deschutes Brewery. This is my favorite commercial beer right here. So good. What was I saying? Never mind. Just go home. Take it easy, y'all. I'm going to be in the office. That's on video, isn't it? <clears throat> uh, some of the reasons that you're here is because you needed fellow travelers, right? You needed cooperative enforcers in your life and you're smart enough to come regularly and, and to get it. There's all sorts of ways that we in this community, the Blue Water community, help each other out. You know, Sunday, coming to church on Sunday is a massive discipline, but it's a, it's a feeding discipline. Like, you come for you because you need it, and you come because you can help all the other people around you. Hey, how are you doing in that thing? How's that going? You know, hey, it's, it's Father's Day. How's that going for you, the whole daddy thing? Some of us are new dads, so... There's that. Uh, we have disciplines at, at Blue Water. You heard from uh, our K2 community house and from our justice ministry during the announcements time. One of the things we decided to do when the handful of us uh, started Blue Water years ago is that we, took, we decided to take 25% of all money that comes into Blue Water and give it directly to ministry to the poor. So we just take 25 cents of every dollar that you give or other people give, and we just... We set it in a, in a pot, and we only spend it on poor people. Uh, some internationally, and some people here, I want to say poor people, people who are disadvantaged in a myriad of ways, right? And that has empowered a lot of our community-based justice ministries and our trafficking ministry and given us amazing uh, stories. That was a discipline. We needed to pre-commit to that. And the Blue Water Board uh, is a big part of that. Um, Ohana groups are a great discipline because you get to walk with people individually uh, in life and you get to share and swap stories and make sure that you're on it and that you're not on the things that you need to not be on. You know, so uh, Father's Day is a discipline. Hey, have I honored Dad this year? You know, supposedly you don't need a special day to do that, but once a day. It's either, you know, a discipline that helps us to honor our fathers appropriately, honor your father and your mother so that it will go well with you in the land the Lord has given you. That's the commandment. It's one of the big ten. 
either that or Hallmark created it to make money off of cards. You can take it any way you want, but use it for good is my advice. Um, you have accountability groups, and a lot of us have accountability groups for like what you watch on the internet. There's software filters that you can buy. If I go onto an inappropriate website, it will email on accountability partner. And a lot of uh, guys here have gotten free from uh, pornographic materials that way. Just sort of helping each other out, you know, just, hey man, uh, watch my back, I'll watch uh, your back. Your job is probably a discipline for you. You're probably more disciplined about your job than anything else in your life because it determines when you get up in the morning, you go to work, you're not late, you put in time and stuff like that. You're probably more disciplined about that than any other thing because you have to be because you need to earn money. Uh, money is a great discipline in life in, in that way. And some of it, some of it is advantageous. <laughs> Some of it is just a drag. A lot of you are in fitness groups or fitness classes. Why? You know why. You know why. Because if you didn't have that accountability, if you didn't have people expecting you to show up at the gym at a certain time, etc. We all do this, is all I'm saying. I'm just encouraging you to do it well in an enlightened way that has to do with your spiritual life to make sure you minister daily, to make sure that you're always gathering somebody in. Right? To make sure that you're fighting when you should be fighting. All of these uh, other things. Um, last thing, we'll just close with this. If you lack discipline in your life, whether it be self-discipline or externally enforced discipline, but if you just lack discipline in your life, what happens to you? What's the opposite of discipline? Chaos, that's a good one. Slothfulness, laziness, that can, that's a good one. S sludge, don't know what that means, but yes. Sludge, we get it, yeah. Regret, oh, that's a great word. Here's, here's an insight. This is just a, a traveler's insight. If you lack discipline in your life, what will happen, what you will find growing in your life is hopelessness. It's a little bit surprising, but the opposite of discipline is hopelessness. I'm not going to talk about this a lot this morning, but during the pandemic, the shutdown, what we did is we took away everybody's routines, particularly the kids, the teens. We took away all their routines. And suicide has tripled, and self-harm has tripled. One in three American teenage girls has self-harm during the pandemic, according to some studies. Hopelessness. Why? Because we took away all their enforced disciplines. And you might think, well, but it just, it's just a commentary on human nature, is what it is. It makes it hard to sustain. The opposite of discipline is hopelessness. Now, one of the reasons I share that is because if you are feeling hopeless, discipline. Not the sort of shame discipline, but the healthy sort of discipline, right? You're kind of like, well, let me get my groove back on. Let me show up. Let me just sort of start making the steps. Let me ask other people to hold me accountable and do the thing. So restorative. So incredibly healthy. So healthy. It will give you endurance and stamina. 
That's all I got uh, today. So, Father God, I pray for a restoration of discipline. I love for some of that uh, healthy self-discipline that's just woven with grace and just feels good and empowering. If necessary, Lord, I hope that you would encourage us to find places to get some external discipline just so that we're walking appropriately and so we don't drift into hopelessness, the death of the soul. I pray, Father, as always, that you would perfect your agenda for every person here. And we'd all be changed a little bit before we go. In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen.